imagining just the worst things happening. Like I would go up on stage and I would trip and fall, my nose would bleed, and then people would start throwing uh, tomatoes at me, uh, or even worse, potatoes, which which was just random. Uh, and then I'd wake up like naked on, in a ditch somewhere. I'm like, that's that's literally what I thought. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, brought to you by Startup You, inspiring and supporting entrepreneurs to make a full-time living doing what you love. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, Virgin mentor, and founder of Startup You, the regional partner of Virgin Startup, providing startup funding, mentoring, and support. The main thing is, if you have a, if you have a good idea for a business, you know, as I say, screw it, just do it, and give it a go, and you may fall flat on your face, but pick yourself up and keep trying until you succeed. Each episode features the stories from two entrepreneurs at different stages in their journey who talk us through their successes and failures. You get to take on board all of their learnings and none of the failure. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hayes, who are the number one recruiting experts in the UK. Whether you're searching for your perfect job or looking to scale your business by building the perfect team, go to hayes.co.uk, quoting Startup You. Joining me on today's show is Pat Flynn, somebody who I've followed for a long time and who I'm super excited to have on the show. Pat's a thought leader in the areas of online entrepreneurship, digital marketing, and lifestyle businesses. We talked about how he overcame becoming redundant and finding his own path and true passion in inspiring others to start and grow their own online businesses. Forbes recently named him as one of the 10 most transparent leaders in business and the New York Times profiled him as a case study in smart online business building. Pat started as a blogger and he now has a top-ranked business podcast which has had over 34 million downloads. Yes, that's 34 million downloads, a best-selling book, Will It Fly? and a number of successful seven-figure businesses. The self-confessed crash test dummy of online business was a great guest to interview. Let's get to it. At what point did you think, um, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to start my own business? Was that when in 2008 you said you were you, you lost your job uh, in the crunch and you were almost forced to take that path or were there other options on the table at that time? I mean, when I got laid off that day, I had called every other architecture firm I knew, all my friends who were in school, every engineering firm that we'd ever work with, begging and pleading for a job. So no, my first inclination was not, oh, I'm going right. to work for myself. That I wanted to get back into the thing I was comfortable doing and the thing yeah. that I had gone to school for and the thing I was just ready to do for the rest of my life. I just couldn't imagine anything else. And then when it really set in that you know I had to figure out something else, I was very lucky to have discovered podcasts and in particular, some podcasts that had helped me discover this world of online business and, and being, becoming an entrepreneur. And that forced me to do things and uh, really step out of my comfort zone, but showed me that there was a way and that there was a path and that this thing was possible. And through a lot of experimentation, through a lot of failures, uh, and really through a lot of relationship building with other entrepreneurs who were already successful and uh, getting inspiration from them and actually having them answer questions for me along the way when I was stuck, that really helped me get through and even then, even after selling my first product, which was an ebook study guide helping people pass that exam, and then later I sold uh, an audio guide to go along with that, and then practice exams and classes and whatnot, it wasn't until 
uh, May the following year that I really was like, okay, yeah, this is something I can do for the rest of my life. Uh, because I had just been so conditioned to think that, well, I, I need a steady job at a nine to five and with a 401k plan and, you know, insurance and all that stuff. And that's what I kept gravitating toward, even though I was making, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month, eventually through my uh, study guide site, still those feelings of wanting to get back into something more natural or quote natural was uh, what I wanted to do. It wasn't until May of 2009, when my boss called me, the boss who had let me go, I'd been working for myself for a while. At the, at the time, my income was between twenty dollars and $30,000 a month from these uh, products I was selling online. Mm-hmm. My boss calls me and he offers me a position back huh, at no way. A, new, a new firm that he created. He brought some of my old buddies with him and he started a new firm. He took some clients that they had as well, high-end clients, and he offered me uh, a raise. He offered me a promotion. He offered me an office. He offered me even a year's rent. Wow. Like fully paid. Yeah. And it wasn't two seconds where I said, no, thanks. <laughs> and I and, and I, I, I hung up and I was like, holy crap, I cannot believe I just uh, I, I cannot believe I just said no to that amazing offer. And then I thought about why I said no. And then it hit me. Well, I can't imagine going back. I have no. to continue working for myself to have control over my my uh, my finances and my, my future, because I now if I fail, I know it's because of something I didn't do. Yeah. Uh, or something I shouldn't have done as opposed to back then I worked so hard and yet I was still let go. So now I, at least I have peace of mind that I am in control now, which drives me even further. Absolutely. And if you were starting an online business today, um, do you think, well, what do you think the most important thing would be for somebody looking to do that? Is that building their email list? Um, is that trying to learn how to drive traffic to the site, learning to convert all of those things? Mm-hmm. I mean, all those things are important eventually, but the most important thing is you have to find a market that you feel like you can offer a solution for Mm -hmm. and getting really, really passionate about helping those people find that solution. That's the most important thing. Before anything is purchased, before anything is created, research, ask questions, find problems that you can potentially solve. I mean, this is what my book, Will It Fly? It walks you through the process of and brainstorming different ideas and nailing down that one. Um, but making sure also along the way that not only are you finding these problems and these groups of people who need help that you can offer help for uh, in whatever way they end up wanting help or needing help. And again, that's through discovery, that's through chatting and, and things like that. Uh, like literally talking to people in real life, which is, I know, kind of scary for a lot of people, but that's how you have to figure this thing out. Um, But beyond that, also making sure that these things that you choose to work on, that you're going to dedicate a lot of time, effort, and potentially a lot of money and sweat into, making sure that they also align with who you are and what you want to become and your strengths. And does, is it in line with sort of the things that you're good with and things that you want to do in the future? And that's, that's what part one of my book does is it helps you align what your goals are and what those visions are. And it's more than just Oh, what's your five-year plan? Or you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's it's really looking internally of, of you know, what are the things that excite you? What do you want your future to be like? You know, who is who are you going to be spending time with? What's a typical day like in the future for you? Because working backwards from there will help you decide how you want to run your business, and that way you're not just selecting a business and working on it because it's a low-hanging fruit because it's the first opportunity that you have. Because I know a lot of entrepreneurs who are very successful on paper. They have a lot of employees, millions of dollars, but they are still not completely fulfilled. They're actually kind of unhappy at times because they're in this business that they don't really want to be and they wish they were doing something else that was more meaningful to them. So just kind of a forewarning for, for those of you out there who are getting started. Yes, you might have opportunities right in front of you, but are they the right ones for you? Maybe so. If so, go with it. If not, you're going to have to make sure that there's something in alignment first before you actually dedicate all that time and effort into it. 
Absolutely. That's that's what I liked about your book, um, listening to you talking about your son um, to start with, to open the book. And, um, you know, it's all about your why at the end of the day, why you're doing this. And it's like for yourself, it's that, you know, I think you say you made three and a half million dollars online, but the reason wasn't to generate millions of dollars online. It's because you want to spend more time with your family and, and by extension, help more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, really getting to be very in tune with what your why is, is going to help you through everything. Um, because when you're doing this thing, when you're becoming an entrepreneur, when you're building your business and trying to scale and grow and, and meeting all these failures and brick walls, it's your why that's going to get you through it. Because when you're in the trenches, it's it's hard to remember what your why is. Sometimes you just kind of get frustrated and you're doing this day to day thing. And when you step back and remove yourself a little bit and start thinking about, well, why am I making myself go through this in the first place, it puts your mind at ease that, well, first you're doing the right things, but also that, well, this is just a natural part of the process and you will do what it takes to get through it because it it actually means something to you. Absolutely. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with your your website, Smart Passive Income, who might just be familiar with the the podcast or the book, um, what I love is the fact, which I think is massively helpful for those um, who haven't been there and looked at it, is the fact that you you list out the monthly earnings and then you break it down into income outgoings. And I've seen other people, such as John Lee Dumas, do that since. I don't know if you were the, the first person to do it, the first person I certainly came across online doing that. Um, <laughs> can you talk me through where that came from and, and how's, it, how's it working out? Uh, well, I mean, I, I was pretty quick to do that in October of 2008 was my first uh, run at an income report. Um, I was not the first person to ever do it, but I, I sort of was the only one to sort of keep at it. There, there were some affiliate right. marketers and other people who, who had done that before. I had done it just because I wanted to show people that, you know, I was finding success in this new realm of online business. and I wanted to be completely open and honest and authentic about the entire process, sharing how many sales I had, how much each product was and what, what was coming through. Um and people just responded like mad. I mean, in in a good way. They were they were just kind of first of all dumbfounded about about the fact that I was sharing everything. <laughs> but yeah. secondly, they were just really thankful that somebody was putting it all out there. And so I had continued to do it month over month. And every month, I've been very consistent since October of two thousand eight. I've uh, been publishing a monthly income report. Um, and then John's business, I think, started in two thousand ten or eleven. Um, so. I, he definitely hopefully got inspiration from me to do that. And I know a lot of other people are doing it too. And John's crushing it now. I love, I love John and on uh, everything he's doing at entrepreneur on fire. He's what, what I love about John is he's, he's discovering all these new fun ways to help his audience even more. He's doing these journals now. He had, yeah. he had the freedom journal uh, launched launch last year, uh, the mastery journal this year, really, really helpful tools uh, that can become a habit in somebody's life to help them improve with focus and discipline and stuff. So uh, kudos to him for that. And yeah, I'm just very excited that, you know, there's this movement of, of transparency now. I was actually in a Forbes article once with a number of other transparent leaders like Tony Shea from Zappos and many others as far as the uh, – we were like the top 10 transparent leaders in business. And to see my name with like all those yeah, big names is awesome. actually incredible because, you know, initially I started out as a blogger and that's all I was. And, you know, uh, just had this small little niche business in the architecture space for an exam that most people have never heard of before. And now <laughs> kind of grown and I've become sort of a face of the, the transparency movement here, which is – unexpected but uh, I'm honored and I, I and I'm going to own that and continue to move forward with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it just builds your authority again really in, in in the great scheme of things and especially in a world where most people's natural reaction when they get success is is to hide it and and not tell anybody about it at all. You know, this is my secret source and nobody's going to know about it. Mm. 
Um, and I'm in- interested to know, so looking at the income reports, which again, personally find you know massively uh, helpful and inspirational, if you were building smart passive income from scratch now, is, is there a different order that you would have done things with regards to the income streams that you, you have on there, Pat? You know, I, w- I wouldn't have built smart passive income if I hadn't already had success in another business outside of the realm of entrepreneurship and how to teach online business. I think that's, you know, a lot of people are actually getting into uh, businesses where they probably shouldn't be in because they don't have a proven record yet. You know, they're trying to teach people how to, uh, you know, do social media and they haven't mastered it themselves yet. Or they're t- trying to teach people how to do online business yet. They haven't built an online business of, the, uh, hmm. of their own yet. So, yeah. you know, I'm very thankful that I did everything in the right order. I uh, first started with greenexamacademy.com, which is still in existence today. It's still generating a passive income, which is awesome. I hardly uh, have to do anything to upkeep that site. Uh, and then I built smartpassiveincome.com. And what's really cool is on smartpassiveincome.com, now I build these new businesses publicly and live, and I share every bit and part of it, the wins, the failures, things I wish I would have done differently. And I'm um, continuing that sort of rhythm of, of experimentation. Actually, this year, I'm going to get into a little bit of the physical product realm, which deals with things I've never dealt with before, such as manufacturing and shipping. And that's going to be a new uh, fun world that I'm going to explore and just share information about as much as I can. And whether I win or fail, it's always a lesson. So that that's kind of it's kind of why I call myself the crash test dummy of online business. I mean, that's why I'm here uh, for the benefit of other people. I was just about to quote that. Funnily enough, it's great. Great minds think alike. Again, I was literally just about to say that to you. <laughs> the crash yeah. test dummy of online business. That's a, that's an you know, awesome tagline. Thank you. I mean, what's really funny about that is um, I, ha- I hired a designer to redesign my website in 2013. And he came over to my house and he locked himself in my office. Uh, his name is Chase Reeves. He has a company over at fizzle.co. And he uh, just needed placeholder text for the sort of hero image at the top of the homepage. And that's what he put there. He said, crash test on my mm-hmm. business. He's like, he's like, oh, you could change this text. Like it's, it's just placeholder. Like, I don't really care what you put in there later. I just needed something to fill in the space. And he's like, and I looked at it and I was like, holy crap, that like embodies everything I'm about right now. Um, <laughs> let's keep it. And, you know, there was a reason why he used that in particular as uh, sort of just random text. Uh, you know, he thought of that because of the way that I do my business. And so I just kept it and it's kind of stuck ever since. And he said, hey, you can have that one for free, Pat. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, uh, and he ruled he's... <laughs> Awesome, thanks. And um, how does it feel to have a, a Wall Street Journal bestseller book on your hands? <laughs> uh, it's, it's exciting, really fun and humbling, and uh, I'm just completely honored. I didn't think it was possible. My book, Will It Fly?, which came out in February of 2016, um, I just wrote it because I needed to help my audience. And they helped me back by you know, going crazy about it, and it became a Wall Street Journal as a, best, uh, as a self-published book, which was just completely unheard of. And again, I'm just super thankful and blessed for that. Awesome. And tell me, because I've got it as a uh, audio on, on Audible myself, and mm-hmm. what do you, do you find out what the kind of split is between people buying a physical copy and, and, and doing it as a download? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the audiobook came out a little bit later. If I could do it all over again, I would kind of have them all at the same time. And especially for somebody like me who has, you know, a top-rated business podcast with over 34 million downloads, you know, it would have made sense to have that first. But there was a little bit of a time crunch. And plus, that was my first time publishing a book. So my first experience going through that, hopefully I'll do it better next time. But the split currently, month over month after a year now, it's uh, it's pretty you know, even split between books, uh, written books and audiobooks. Now, the written books are split more so on the ebook side than the, the paper co- uh, book copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so more uh, or less the same in terms of book and audiobook, but definitely more Kindle than uh, paperback book. 
Okay, and and um, interested to know—is it a conscious decision to? I guess the phrase would be ad lib as you were you're talking through the book on on the audio. <laughs> Yeah, I actually got a lot of inspiration from uh, one of my favorite people and authors out there, Gary Vaynerchuk. A lot yeah. of you know who that is. Uh, he does this a lot in his audiobooks, and you know it's very Gary V style to just kind of go on a rant at times. <laughs> uh, and he would do that in his book, and I really liked kind of how it went off script a little bit. This is for his book, hashtag Ask Gary V. Uh, but I decided to do something similar. Now I don't necessarily rant in my book, but I do go off script, and I think what it, what that does is it makes it sound more natural, makes it sound like my podcast a little bit. Yeah. And it's also a nice little bonus for people who get the audio and also gives people who got the uh, paper version or the ebook version a reason to, to check out a different experience on the audio side of things. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's funny because we were uh, listening, my wife and I were listening to a, a couple of audio books recently. And what I liked with yours is, you know, you read it yourself, which not everybody does. We listened to a couple mm-hmm. and it was the same person's voice and you kind of oh, switch really? off, <laughs> you know, halfway through the book, unfortunately. It's not engaging enough. Whereas, you know, because I, I guess a huge portion of the audience for your book are familiar with your voice from the podcast, it's a natural change for you to, to carry on doing that. Yeah, I think it, I mean, I would recommend that if anybody's writing a book that you do your own audiobook. I mean, that's your own voice and that's how you build a relationship with your audience. It almost seems kind of deceiving to yeah. have somebody else read it for you in my eyes. I mean, uh, everybody has a different opinion about that, but I, I really enjoyed it. I literally locked myself up in a studio, even though I have podcasting equipment at home and I could have probably recorded it and, and mastered it myself. I went into a studio that I paid for with a tech guy there to help me through it. And in two days it was done. And yeah. I felt like that was good because it forced me to just focus on that instead of getting interrupted or, you know, having the kids kind of pull my shirt every once in a while, which they do sometimes <laughs> when I work at home. So it was nice. I could just boom, 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 get it all done. And, uh, and now it's out there in the world. And and how long did it take to to actually write the book in the first place? Was, was that a process whereby you were doing bits and pieces um, day by day, week by week? Or was it something, again, that you, you locked yourself away and, and, and nailed it in a month or something? Well, definitely not the latter. It was actually a big struggle for me. Uh, and it was for a few reasons. One, it was my first big sort of nonfiction business book. I had written a book before called Let Go, but that was more of a memoir of like how I uh, transition from, uh, architecture to entrepreneur. But this one was, was big. It was grand. And because it was so big and grand in my head, I really struggled to get the words out. I wanted every single word, every single paragraph and every single page to be absolutely perfect. And because of that, I would sit and write for hours. I'd block out time, which is what you're supposed to do to write. But then I would come away at, uh, with just an extra hundred or 200 words and that's it after hours. And it would just kind of deflate me. And it got to a point where I just I was going to give up on it because I was like, oh, well, I guess this is a sign that this isn't a book that I, you know, I'm meant to write. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people were asking me for information about this topic. which so, so I knew that I had to just get over this fear, procrastination, or this thing that was blocking me from doing this. And I actually hired a coach to help me through the process, oh, to hold cool. me accountable. Yeah. And really what happened was I took this giant idea of a book and chopped it up into little tiny pieces, into just the chapters and even the sub-chapters and within those chapters or subsections, and just one at a time cranked through them as if they were blog posts. Because I could write blog posts like very easily. Yeah. But for whatever reason, this book was hard. But when I broke it down like that, uh, it became very easy. And overall, from start to finish, it took me uh, about... 10 or 11 months to, to complete overall. Um, but most of it was done in the last three months after really getting in tune with my rhythm. Yeah. Okay. And so it's almost uh, funnily enough, similar to the, to the content in the book and then the chapters actually breaking it down into actionable chunks. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. That's cool. Um, cause what I 
liked about your book was the fact that you gave people uh, actions that they were accountable for, that they could work through and end up with a product, i.e. is this a good fit for, for where I am right now in my life? Um, is this going to gain traction or do I need to rethink things? Yeah, I mean, a lot of books that I read that are great but fall short are ones that I just read and then kind of put down and forget. Mm. Uh, the ones that are best are ones that walk me through a specific process, step by step, iteration after iteration, and kind of building upon the last chapter. And that's kind of what this book does. And in addition to giving you these exercises, I thought it'd be kind of cool to actually do these exercises with you. So actually, you're seeing me validate something while you're validating it too, or actually doing the exercises with you. I even go one step further and I created a free companion course. So go along with it, which I mentioned throughout the book, which enables you to get videos on some of the exercises on how to do them a little bit better. All the links that are mentioned in the book are conveniently uh, marked off there. And you can even communicate with other uh, Will It Fly book readers as well in this free companion course, which is a lot of fun. And then for me, from a business standpoint, it's enabling me to actually capture the email addresses from from my readers so that I can help them even further down the road. That's great. And how do you um, have you felt so far? So it's is virtually year to the day, like you said, that it's um, yeah. being released, which which is crazy. How, how has that helped build uh, the business and and your personal brands into different chunks? Well, in several different ways. For one, you know, when you come out with any kind of book, it offers a little level of authority. Uh, you know, you level up in authority a little bit, and if it does very well, obviously it does it a lot more. Um, but more than that, it's enabled me to even deepen, uh, more deep in the relationship that I have with my audience. Those who already knew me, who picked up the book, uh, found even more about me during this and, uh, process and have become even bigger fans afterwards, especially after them getting results from the books. And those who didn't even know about me, who were exposed to me for the first time through this book, uh, mainly through Amazon and word of mouth, uh, they're getting a first taste of what I have to offer, and it's a great first impression as well. So they're now in my ecosystem, and they're able to consume a lot of the other pieces of content that I have to offer, and they're getting results um, too. Uh, as a byproduct, there's speaking opportunities that have come about. There's been consulting and coaching opportunities uh, coming as a result. I've been asked several times to create an even deeper, more detailed step-by-step course, walking people through the same process. So people have offered to pay money for a little bit more hand-holding through the validation process. So actually, that's being built and and, uh, served right now, actually, at um, uh, smartfromscratch.com is the name of that course, which I'm really excited about. Um, And, you know, just I felt more confident with the writing process, and I'm actually uh, starting to work on my second book, too. What's really cool is even though this book was self-published, I've had a lot of publishers reach out to me and want to buy it uh, or offer to work with me on the next book, which is a cool opportunity, uh, very motivating. Um, I did hire an agent to help with getting this book uh, published internationally. So it's actually now being picked up in four different countries around the world, which, you know, it's going to have its own different cover and in their own different languages. It's going to be pretty amazing. I never thought it would actually go that far, especially as a self-published book. But again, I'm just super grateful and, and very excited for you know everything that's happening as a result of the book being published. I bet you're really glad that you you pushed through now when you when you had those sort of darker moments, shall we say? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because when I think about a lot of those struggles I've had in all my businesses and those dark moments, um, I think of what happened you know after breaking through them, and there's always something there's always something awesome on the other end. And I just that's the advice I have for many entrepreneurs out there. For those of you just starting out, you're gonna struggle. It's gonna be a mess at times. You're not gonna know what to do. But just keep getting up after your failures and keep plowing through because on the other side of that is awesomeness. And that's just that's just the way it is. And now I, I recommend, and I do this myself, I look for that fear. I look for that resistance, things that are trying to stop me in my tracks. I go toward that and I just try to plow through because that to me is a sign that what I'm working on is you know, worth working on. If I, I would actually fear more if I was working on something 
and I didn't get nervous, that would mean hmm, maybe I'm not going big enough. So those of you who are nervous, you're probably going big enough. Um, just keep going harder, though. Keep keep hustling and, and plowing through. I totally agree. And you always think, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen at the end of the day? It it fails and you learn and, and you move, move on with improved results. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- that's a great question to ask. I ask myself, myself that all the time because, at least for me, and I think a lot of people can relate, when you are put in, the, in these weird positions, when you're trying something new and uncomfortable, uh, your imagination goes wild sometimes and you, you think the absolute worst thing that is actually impossible. So I remember, for example, one time in 2011 when I was speaking on stage for the first time. Speaking on stage was something that I was definitely afraid of, but I knew I had to do it. I had an opportunity to speak in front of a pretty large audience, a couple hundred people, uh, for a friend of mine who was putting on a conference. So I wanted to do it for him as well and for myself. And I just remember days before the event, just sweaty palms, getting really nervous, like kind of wanting to back out um, and just imagining just the worst things happening. Like I would go up on stage and I would trip and fall. My nose would bleed and then people would start throwing uh, tomatoes at me uh, <laughs> or even worse, potatoes, which which was just random. Uh, and then I'd wake up like naked on, in a ditch somewhere. I'm like, that's that's literally what I thought. Well, and we do that to ourselves, but obviously that's just ridiculous. But when you're in the moment, you, you can't help but think that way. So asking yourself that question, hey, what's the worst that can happen? It's absolutely a great reality check because really the worst is probably not as bad as you think. And so that will give you a little bit more reassurance when you actually take these bold moves and take these big actions that are required to get the results that you're looking for. That's brilliant. Um, and what are, you, uh, what are you excited about right now? What's happening at the moment? So at the moment, I'm getting ready to release a brand new course, like I said earlier, smartfromscratch.com. I actually validated it uh, through the same process that I talk about in Will It Fly. So I had a number of uh, founding students or beta students go through it earlier last year and had uh, worked with them to really help it become what it is today. So refining the content, making the videos even better, and uh, just letting them rip it apart, essentially. Um, Obviously, I was delivering value to them, but they also were able to poke holes in it and help me figure out what it really should be before I go large uh, and in charge with it. So that's coming out at the end of February here. Uh, So it could possibly be out by the time many people are listening to this, which is awesome. So that's at smartfromscratch.com. I also have a few more courses in the works, and I'm really excited about these courses specifically because it's a way for me to teach on an even uh, deeper and more detailed level uh, to my audience. You know, traditionally, you can see in my income reports, actually, most of the income that I'm making is through affiliate marketing, which means I recommend or uh, share somebody else's product or course or tool or service or software, and I get a commission when somebody clicks through my link and then ends up paying for that product. So the company offers me you know, a, a little bit of the, a piece of the pie there. Um, and that's great because I only recommend products I've used and I recommend or have friends that I really know very well who will take care of my audience. But now, instead of just saying, hey, you want to start this thing? Okay, here's this person who knows how to help you. Now it's like, hey, I can take care of that for you. And they're going to stay in my ecosystem. They're going to be able to learn in the way that I know I can teach them best. And it's not only going to help grow my income, it's going to help shift my income from primarily affiliate marketing, which is very dangerous if, it, if that's your only uh, method of generating an income because it's based on somebody else's product. I mean, mm-hmm. if that product goes away, if that company gets bought out, or if they, if they just for whatever reason don't want to work with you anymore, you're screwed. So yeah. now I'm starting to take control even more of the income that I have and kind of building my own IP and uh, my own products that, I, that I'll be able to sell and make you know more money off of, obviously. But I think the money will come as a byproduct of, of helping my audience. So I'm excited about that. Um, I also am working on book number two, which I am potentially going to be going traditional with. The first one was self-published, and I proved that I could do that very well and go very big with it. Uh, I have no idea what going traditional is like, so I want to see what that's like. 
mainly for the benefit of uh, sharing that information with others when they ask me, well, what do you like better, traditional or published uh, or self-published? But I also feel like if done correctly and if there's the right deal in place and if I work with the right crew, uh, it could really help spread the message of the book even further, which is obviously the benefit of going traditional. You get more distribution. Uh, So there's that. There's the physical product I was talking about earlier, which is going to relate a little bit to productivity. Uh, And then finally, I'm just stoked for life because my kids are awesome. They're going to school. And my son, especially, he's getting into entrepreneurship and all the things that I'm doing now. He he and I record podcasts together. They don't go live anywhere. I just kind of hold them (laughs) in. It's fun to see him get used to it and get get excited about getting on the microphone, getting comfortable about just sharing ideas and talking. It's all really important skills that are, I think, really necessary for succeeding in, in life with whether you become an entrepreneur or an employee uh, in order to become great at either one of those things, you have to be willing to put yourself out there to get uncomfortable at times to learn to fail all those kinds of things. And it's really cool to see my son sort of learn from my example and uh, just embody that in the work that he does does too. And how old are uh, your kids now, Pat? So my son is seven, my daughter's four. um, And I'm just super stoked. I'm actually starting to get really interested in education and just researching a lot about it here in the U.S. and how we might be able to make things a little bit better. Uh, you know, I'm very fortunate that my son's going to a really progressive sort of entrepreneurial project-based learning school. And just to see how his brain is sort of thinking about the world now, I'm like, this is, we need this everywhere. Uh, why isn't it everywhere? Or even things like budgeting, they don't teach that stuff in school. And it just boggles my mind because that's a that's something you need to know to survive, right? And most yeah. people don't kind of learn those things until sometimes it's too late or just you know, it's hard to come back from from those things. So big time goals down the road, 5, 10, 15 year plan is to see what I can do to actually make a bigger impact on that level to try and help more kids get educated on these things that can help them through life. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I've, funnily enough, my, um, one of my, I've got two daughters, seven and nine, and my nine-year-old now, we've just done a um, PowerPoint together. And now nice. she heard I was doing podcasts. She was like, Daddy, can we do a podcast together? And I was just like, oh, brilliant. I love how your mind's working. And she's interested in knowing how it all works and how you put it all together. That's so cool. But uh, again, I'm the same. Like you read something like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and none of that stuff is being taught in schools. Um, and we just started doing some stuff with uh, universities now. Um, and we, we're up at the mm-hmm. university here where, where I live, and 190 people are registered for, for the first event. And you just think, wow, there's, there's a huge appetite for it. But it needs to start even younger. It needs to start the ages of our kids are. Right, exactly. It's, it's, um, it's how we go about that. Um, and... Out of all those things that you're doing, what's is, is there one that gives you the most pleasure? Is it is it a podcast? Is it is it making uh, writing a book? Is it all of those things? I mean, it, gosh, it's it's everything. You know, I wouldn't be doing these things if I didn't have a joy in in the work that I do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. You know, you get to choose whatever it is you want to do. And yeah, there are going to be times within those projects that you choose to work on that you're just going to kick yourself or just hate it a little bit because it's going to be you know you're going to be in the trenches. It's going to be hard work. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm just so thankful that I, I get to do what I choose to do. Um, that's what it's about, the freedom. So, you know, it's, it's just the fact that I get to choose to work on these things that makes me really happy. And I, if you were to force me to select one of those <laughs> things, um, Alex, I guess it would be, you know, honestly, the book writing. I, I'm, I'm very, very excited about uh, book number two. It's on a topic that I've spoken about before, uh, the idea of building raving fans. Uh, my fans have been incredibly important to me and a reason why I'm here today. And I think anybody can build just a small set of completely raving fans for whatever it is that they do, who just 
absolutely love you and the work that you do that can absolutely change your life because you're helping change their world too. So that's what book number two is going to be about. I'll probably be talking a lot more about that later on in the year on my uh, site. But uh, until then, I'm just going to keep working at it. Cool. And having interviewed literally hundreds of entrepreneurs yourself, is there anyone on your wish list who you still haven't interviewed? Uh, man, there's there's a lot of them. I wish I could also go back into time in my DeLorean and interview a few people too, like Benjamin Franklin uh, and Steve Steve Jobs, and uh, you know, rest in peace. Um, but I, living, I, I wish I could interview Elon Musk right now because okay, yeah. He, he just the way his brain works and the way that he believes everything is possible. Um, I need to think bigger like that and not have these limiting beliefs get in the way sometimes as they do. So, uh, Elon, if you're listening, uh, just reach out to me. I'd love to take you out to dinner and just chat, even if we don't record it. I just want to talk to you. Awesome. And uh, I was listening to, it might have even been your last podcast or one of the most recent ones. So for people who are listening and who are looking to start an online business, um, and you talk about it in, in your book again, you don't have to be one of these people who literally goes away and who writes, wants to write an online course and spends a year of their life doing it. What I loved that you were telling the lady on the, on the call that you could literally go out and write part of it and then start the course, you know, to get the ball rolling, take action. Don't just spend all the time in planning. Yeah. I mean, just that's what the validation process is all about. You know, taking this big idea of launching a course and chunking it up. And the first thing you need to do is just prove that that's a topic that people want to learn more about. So even before the idea of a course comes into play, can you have a person say yes to having a conversation with you about that thing? Like that's step number one. If you can't even get people to say yes to talking to you about it or, or just saying, yeah, I want to learn more from you about that, then what, what's going to make you think that you're going to get customers for a product about that thing, right? So then after that, it's like, okay, well, let's see if I can do this on a more, more scalable level. Can I set up, a, a, for example, a free workshop in my area or maybe a free online webinar uh, training, again, free, so that I know that, yes, this is something that you know more people want information about and are they actually going to pay attention? Are they going to enjoy it? Then from there, you can begin asking them to actually start getting interested in a course and potentially even having them pay for the idea of the course and getting early access to it even before you create it. I mean, that's what I do in the back of the book is share a number of examples of people who have gotten payments for things up front before they even created them. And I know that sounds kind of weird and different, but we live in an age now where this is more common. I mean, think about Kickstarter and all the things that are being created now that aren't even built yet that people are pledging money for yeah. uh, to get access to them early because they want to be an early adopter and because they just need that thing really badly. So you can approach it that way. That way, if there is a moment during that process where something's not working out, you can just backpedal one step instead of starting from scratch and just say, okay, well, what went wrong here? Maybe my messaging was wrong. Maybe the way the pricing was wrong or whatever, instead of what most people are doing, which is spending a ton of time and money building something that they think their audience wants. And then they go to the rooftops and shout like, buy my thing. And then nobody buys it. And they're wondering why. Mm. And you're not sure, is it because of the product itself? Is it because of the way I was shouting it? Is it because I'm on the wrong rooftop? Is it because of the specific day that I'm, you know, shouting from the rooftop? Like you have no idea, but it's when you do it in an iterative process that you can then decipher and nail down, okay, where were the problem areas, if there are any, and how to refocus those and then kind of qualify for the next step after that. Absolutely. Um, so for those of you who, who are listening and are looking to start an online business, where can they go to, Pat, to find out more about yourself, your course, your book? 
Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, well, a couple links. I mean, the main one is smartpassiveincome.com. You can check that out there. Uh, also, smartfromscratch.com for that beginner's course. If you wanted to get access to that, uh, it might be closed, so you'll have to sign up for the waitlist for the next launch. Uh, and finally, the book, uh, which is where I would recommend a lot of people start, um, is at willitflybook.com, or you can find it on Amazon. Um, over 650 reviews. I'm just incredibly thankful again, and just thank you for having uh, having me here. It's a honor to be here to help Virgin and all the other uh, amazing entrepreneurs here who, who are just getting started. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Not only a great story about overcoming adversity, but lots of useful and inspiring tips that can help you when finding your why, launching and growing your business. Well, before we hear from our second entrepreneur, I'd love to know your thoughts on the show so far. We're now nine episodes in, enter the iTunes chart at number 56 last week, and I've got over 40 awesome reviews so far. So what I'd like you to do is either tweet me at Alex Chisnell, that's A-L-E-X-C-H-I-S-N-A-L-L, or email alex at startupu.co.uk. I'd specifically like to know if you like the two entrepreneur format of the show and whether the contrast of the established entrepreneur with the up and coming entrepreneur is working for you. So either tweet or email me yes or no and any other feedback would be massively appreciated. As Pat said, what's the worst that can happen? So on with the show. Today's podcast is brought to you by Safri Shampness, a top 20 firm of chartered accountants and registered fiduciaries. They pride themselves on consistently providing effective solutions to their entrepreneurial clients, not only on taxation and financial matters, but on business in general. Contact them at safri.com, quoting Startup You. Next up on today's show, I talk to Seb Francis, Titus Learning's co-founder and Virgin Startup Ambassador. Titus Learning provide online learning solutions for schools both in the UK and overseas, allowing teachers, students and parents to easily share learning resources, track progress and keep up to date. Here's Seb to tell us a little bit more about his business and the digital transformation of the classroom. Yes, of course. My name is Sebastian Francis, and I am the co-founder and director of Titus Learning. And we provide e-learning platforms and an educational technology software to schools dotted all around the globe. Okay, so how many schools are you working with at the moment? So we've got thirty that we work with directly, and they are there's a, there's a mix of those in the UK, and then all of those spreading across to to China, the Middle East, Africa, and Europe as well. Um, and then we work with a couple of partners, so we do probably about another 100 or so schools there um, indirectly. So we've got a range of services that we offer to, to those schools dotted around. Wow, sounds amazing. And then how did you um, get into contact with the schools originally? Did they find you or did you find them? Yes, it was very much. I mean, I've been, I've been in the edtech sector now for the past six years, and then it was about three years ago that we founded Titus. So it was, let me think now, December 2013 that we, we founded. So... At first, it was a case very much of like using the contact book that we already had um, mm-hmm. from, from working in that sector and reaching out there. And then ever since, it's been a case of a lot of active and out, outbound marketing. So looking at going to events dotted around. So that might be uh, events in, in Hong Kong, China, Dubai, 
where they've got education, technology-specific events. Um, and then it's, it's a case as well as uh, people, like say, finding us, doing a lot on social media as well, and, uh, and hopefully doing a good job for the customers and them spreading the word and getting good word of mouth out there about, about the systems we're providing. Okay, and so did the entrepreneurial journey begin in 2013, or were you, were you doing things on your own back then or, or under another company? Yeah, so it was very much, it was my first sort of proper company um, it was Titus. And I think I've always had that that entrepreneurial streak where I'm looking for ideas all, all the way sort of back to school where I'd run run parties and events for, for my peers and for pupils and, and trying to make, I suppose, make, make a bit of cash there. But I'm um, always doing little, little business ideas. But yeah, Titus was very much the first idea and then a number of months of planning went into that to try and identify exactly who we were going to be as a business, the market that we were targeting and, and all the rest of it as well. And when you, you sort of look back on those those early days now, um, three, four years ago, um, can you identify what was stopping you becoming an entrepreneur before that point? I think it's, um, I think for, for myself and probably for a lot of people, there is, there was, there's one is just getting yourself in a position where that's financially, mentally, physically, whatever that position is, getting yourself in that position to become an entrepreneur, not to become an entrepreneur, but to take that jump to running your own company. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously a risk. So it's, it's, it's getting the things in place to mitigate those risks thereafter. So for me, it was very much about I, I wanted to, I'd had a deposit that I'd saved up. I wanted to get that first house and I'd, I'd managed to do that. Um, have enough savings behind you to, or, or funding behind you either way to, to do the first few months of the company and and have that sort of under your belt so that takes the stress off and the pressure off a little bit when it thinks about getting those those first clients so there's that side i think prepping and then just getting your, yourself to, together um the second side which i think probably a lot of people struggle with is is the idea and exactly what they're going to be covering mm-hmm. so for us the the idea is not necessarily new it's not it's not something that other people aren't already doing but we wanted to do it to a slightly different market we wanted to improve on the services that we we're offering offering and, and i think market that better and just have a bit more specialism so that's probably a, i think an issue a lot of people struggle with is what what is the idea and it doesn't ne- you don't necessarily have to be the first to do it you just have to be the best to do it or, or market it to um to a different target market as well Great. And how did you go about turning your idea into action initially then? So a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of little sleep and lots of stress <laughs> is the, yeah, the short answer. But it was, it was a case of you, you come up with the idea and it's about validating the idea and seeing is it just something that yourself and your close friends and your close, close family think is a good idea or again, I've mentioned it, is it, is it your target market? Do they think it's, it's feasible and is there a demand there for it? So really went about chatting with as many people as possible within um, who would be sort of to become potential partners and suppliers, looking at the competitors already in the market and, and looking at that if there is truly a gap and if there is really sort of a, a pain point and an opening or whether it's just a, a small irritation that we're, we're kind of fixing. So there was a lot of planning around that, um, around the, the demand and just validating the idea. There was obviously a lot of discussions and planning about the how feasible it is from a financial point of view and and do the numbers match up for, for what we're looking to do. So if we think that we need to be charging more internationally than what we are currently doing in the UK, is the, does the demand still exist? And then when it feeds back to all the increased costs for going international, can that be covered by by what you're doing? So 
there was a lot there and I started the company alongside my co-founder Mike so there was there was discussions that the two of us had to have as well and, and quite frank conversations about what we wanted out of the business and how we would work together what we were both able to put in which sacrifices we would or wouldn't be able to make as we're doing it mm. and, and get a good grounding and understanding there as well which I think for anyone starting a business alongside somebody a lot of, with, with a co-founder I think it's really vital that they have those discussions up front because otherwise, as you start working into it, if people are either working different hours or um, you've got slightly different job roles or different specialisms, it could even be the case you're putting in different amounts of funding depending on how the cash works. But having those conversations early on reduces the risks of any potential fallouts later down the line when it comes to, to working alongside somebody. And yet still co-founders together to this day yeah still happily married <laughs> it feels it feels like a marriage at least anyway um yeah that was the, the funny thing when we started and people spoke about the the shareholder agreement and, and other bits to kind of like it's, it's almost like getting married but you know yeah. at one point you're going to be divorced because whether it's good or bad in the end it's it's gonna the two of you will go your separate ways one way or another but yeah still still working well together and i think we we complement each other with our, our sort of set of skills that we've got so very good. And how, how does the um, the business work with regards to what's your business model? How do you, how do you generate revenue within that? So, so we, and just I suppose going into a bit more detail, so the e-learning platform we provide, it allows teachers to create um, online teaching content, which is passed out to the students. They complete the work. That could be basically homework tasks, activities, more official assessments. And, and we develop the platform for the school. So we very much try to work on... Um, on like a bespoke platform so each school or client who comes to us will put together a, um, a site that is matched with their branding that's got the, the relevant features and functionality so whilst it's kind of like the underlying technology is is very similar for all the schools the end product and what they get will be very dependent on on, on their school and what their need and what, and what their requirements are so we've got a set of services that schools or companies basically basically pay us for that might be the the theming work and the design work it might be the on-site training and consultancy that we do with them and then of course you've got the annual support and our licensing that we do so for each client there's often a, a number of setup elements that we work with them on and then thereafter each year um, there's the support and licensing so that's where it's in well in both of ours and the client's best interests to to do a top job um, but we're, we, yeah, we, we work with people on an ongoing annual basis thereafter um, started out with a focus on the international school market and our, our first client was in the Netherlands actually and we've got quite a big presence in East Asia as it stands and now looking a little bit more at the UK market and just seeing what we can do there as well um, so that gives you a bit of an idea about the, the business model yeah definitely and has it been plain sailing all the way in the last four years I wish it was, um, <laughs> or maybe not, because I know it wouldn't be so fun. But yeah. no, it's been. I think there have, yeah. Looking back, there's not been particular incidents where you go that that particular event that occurred was an absolute disaster. But in sort of with hindsight, you do look and you think, actually, do you know what? Cash flow wise, we got pretty tight at that time, or mm. that decision we thought about making at that point. We, we should have done and we waited too long or maybe again in hindsight what the decision we made didn't work out so thankfully there's not been any one absolute disastrous event but there's been a number of things I think we would have um, would have looked at and, and one of them would have been maybe just being a bit more following your gut a little bit more and being a bit more punchy and taking more risks which 
probably sounds a bit funny when you think, well, you've started the company, that's that's a big enough risk in itself, and yeah. you've had times over the past three years that have been tied to with cash flows, as you would expect for a startup, and and, and worries there. But I think there are probably a few occasions where you go, actually, yeah, we could have just stepped on the pedal a little bit more. Um, and likewise, there's, I think, patches where we've had a particularly good season or a particularly good run, and then not that you take your foot off the pedal in terms of how much work you're putting in, but mm. maybe just where your attention is focused and you kind of think, well, actually, we've got some, some good cash coming in there, there's some, some good deals being closed, so let's focus on X, Y, Z, when in fact you still need to be pumping into that pipeline and, and pushing it from a, a sales point of view. And my background being sales, I, I should have known that, but I think yeah, when you're running your company, um, the rule book kind of goes out the window. So, yeah, it's not it's not been plain sailing, and I think we've learned a lot of lessons over the past three years, which has been useful and we'll, we'll take forwards now and we, we, we implement now and we've got a number of things in place to kind of ensure those don't happen again but it's all part of that that learning curve is things not going exactly to plan and you're, you're probably quite naive with a lot of the uh, initial plans you put in place or forecasts or whatever it might be when you when you first start out so and and what's been the best best moment so far so there was i mean there has been a lot of highs and it's, i think it's some like key ones that you can pull out one of which would probably have to be one of the first, pro- yeah, one of the first proper UK clients we signed was actually my old high school. So I think I'd only, uh, awesome. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'd, I'd only been out of there for what was it? I think about three, about three years or so. I'd, I'd been out and I'd been in, in work over those years, and then I'd started the company, and then it was a case of going back in and, and very much like pitching to my old teachers, head teachers. <laughs> um, we, we we got the deal closed, and I thought, wonderful, I've got some of that that government education money back <laughs> yeah. the, the tightest spot. But no, it was that was a really cool one. It was good to see, like, go back and having been there and done and my subjects at school very much aligned with what I do now, being sort of IT, economics, business, maths, all of that side. Um, it was nice to be able to go back and, and genuinely fix a problem they had with a solution that we were offering and have people kind of trust in you and go, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a shot. So because we were, I think we were, probably about six months in at that stage or so so still a relative baby and it was nice for them to entrust us um, still working with them still going well which is good to hear yeah uh, that was a, a definite high and there's, yeah there's been a few i think getting into our first schools in china that was huge mm. so it's obviously just such a massive market and it's kind of the one that everyone's going for and yeah by no means have we cracked it but outside of well no in fact in, in, yes yeah, it's the biggest, uh, it's the country we've got lots of the biggest saturation of, of customers is in China and hoping to keep growing on that. Um, and then things like you mentioned at the beginning with the Virgin Startup Ambassador role and, and getting to meet Richard Branson and just so, some of the people that you've met along the, journey, along the journey, that's been an absolute high as well. Uh, and the, like I said, a few ones in particular, but just that as an overall experience has been has been pretty awesome. And were you, um, were you expecting to meet Richard Branson no no well there was there was a hint that we might meet somebody but then we, we kind of got there and and he wasn't there we yeah. were all sat we literally sat in his in his kitchen and then it was it was mm. i was sat opposite the, the patio looking outside of the window and i saw this chap walking across in the rain i was like oh man that's richard Branson. <laughs> no way yeah and then, then he wandered in grabbed a cup of tea and just had a, a sit down a very casual and informal chat with us about branding about virgin a bit about his story so it was it was pretty amazing. I think to see someone in in his position with all he's done, and not not just 
his wealth, but it's sort of his, his impact that he's had, both from a, a business and sort of profit-making side, but also more of the philanthropy side that he's moved into now. Mm. To see that he was, he seemed like very much a normal guy, and is as you know, is, is very far from it. I mean, I think that morning he'd come to see us at about 9am, and he'd already been done three interviews, been up in a hot air balloon, he'd done, wow. done all sorts of stuff, so he's... he's very far from normal at yeah. all, but down yeah. to earth is sort of the words I'm looking for. It was um, it's nice to see someone in his position could you could still connect to and almost relate to so well. Um, yeah, but that was that was pretty amazing. And was that his um, house in Oxfordshire? Yes, it was. Yeah, uh, right. I wasn't yeah. sure because I've seen seen the video um, that we use uh, for like the branding. Yeah. And uh, I always remember, so I worked for Virgin Atlantic for many years and I always remember he used to host a party every summer and you'd literally just rock up uh, with your tent and pitch up in his garden and, you know, bands and free food and booze all night. And you could always take somebody with you. So I always remember taking my brother to the first one and this is back in the 90s. And I always remember it was uh, Frank Bruno was uh, fighting Lennox Lewis that night. And... I always remember the story my brother telling me the next day that he he said I went up to the house there and he said I, I let myself into um, into the house and I a TV on so I switched the TV on because I want to watch the boxing and said this lady came in and said um, do you want a do you want a sandwich I'm just going to make some food and he said yeah brilliant that's that's fantastic please I'll, I'll I'll grab a sandwich what have you got so cheese and pickle yeah cheese and pickle sandwich brilliant he said and then then this guy comes in. Guy with a beard, and then he uh, he, was, he was turning to go upstairs, and then he turned around and said to me, "Oh, would you mind just switching the TV off? Just continue watching it, but once once it's finished, do you mind just switching it off before you leave?" My brother was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." And then I, I was like, "Do you know who that was?" "No, no, who was?" So that was the boss. That was Richard Branson. He was sat in his living room oh, eating gosh. his wife's food, watching his TV. Jeez. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but like you say, cool. totally down to earth. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I love that. If you're an entrepreneur looking for funding, mentoring or support, go to startupu.co.uk. And if you'd like to share your startup story, we'd love to hear from you. Just go to the contact page on startupu.co.uk and we'll be in touch. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and I'd love it if you left me a review of the show. To connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook at Alex Chisnell. Until the next show, remember don't wait. The time will never be just right. Action always beats intention. This show is brought to you by RocketSpark who make it easy for anyone to build a great looking website. Each month, RocketSpark offer one lucky listener the opportunity to get a website absolutely free for the next six months to do some in-market testing of a new idea. Just go to rocketspark.com slash screwitjustdoit to enter. If you'd like the opportunity to attend one of our live events with some of the world's leading entrepreneurs, just go to startupu.co.uk and click on the events calendar. That's startupu with the letter U. From there, you'll be able to see what live events we've got coming up and book a ticket from as little as £5, which includes a complimentary drink and the opportunity to network with like-minded entrepreneurs. Hope to see you soon.